loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters saying, you are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you are so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bow on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. Amen. Let's pray together. Loving God, so often we rejoice in reading stories in your word that are familiar, words that are exciting, words that bring comfort. And yet, Lord, your word has words of judgment, of justice, of truth. And Lord, those are at hard times hard and difficult. And so this morning, I pray that you would help us to read and to listen, to hear and to understand, Lord, that we might be awakened to the danger that's before us, that we might be awakened to go and to share the good news of the gospel whilst we yet can with our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, those who are yet to know you. Lord, would you come and speak to us this morning, to speaker and to listener alike? Would you come and give me, as preacher this morning, words of wisdom, of discernment, words of sensitivity and understanding. Lord, would you allow us all together to hear and to meditate on your word. Lord, our prayer, quite simply, is that your will would be done this morning. Nothing more, nothing less, and certainly nothing else. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A group of rowdy teenagers spray-painted obscenities all over the brick walls of a local high school. The police caught them, charged them uh, with malicious destruction of property. The judge sentenced them to probation with no jail time, but only, only if they could get every bit of paint off of those walls, including those bits in between the cracks on the bricks. It took them days. Another judge gave some vandals the opportunity to learn all about dry walling by repairing a home that they had been found guilty of ransacking. You know, I admire judges like these who hand down punishments that fit the crime. 
Our Lord also has a sense of poetic justice, a way of making sure the guilty get paid back in a way that suits what they've done sometimes in ways that they least expect. I'm going to think about that in Scripture. Nowhere do I see that uh, more clearly uh, than in the book of Esther. Uh, when Haman was hanged on the very gallows that he had built to try and kill Mordecai. In the future, as Revelation 16.6 tells us, those who have shed the blood of your saints and prophets will be given blood to drink as they deserve. In these examples, the guilty are punished in a way that fits their crimes in verse 7, we read, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. We can be glad that they are not only poetic, but that they are right and they are just. God rules righteously. He judges righteously. And we can trust in that. As we read chapter 16, we find the final judgment coming on sinful people. It's horrific as the plague falls on the sinner, sores on the body, blood on the sea and in the streams, the scorching sun, the, uh, the, uh, the dreadful darkness, the earth-shattering earthquake. And we recoil as we read and think that it is perhaps harsh. Yet God is giving people what they deserve. These plagues are God's judgment on sinners who refuse to come to him for salvation. These plagues are designed to judge those who have defied a holy God at every turn. Justice comes to all. So let's thank God this morning for the one who paid the price for us and has redeemed us. Let's be reminded though too for all that is to come so that we can warn others and that we might urge them to turn to Jesus while they can this is the beginning of the final judgment. The chapter begins with these words, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. John has just enjoyed, as we thought last week, a, a worship scene and having a brief pause in the revealing of the seven, the, the, the seven seals have been opened, the seven trumpets have been sounded, and we're about to get to the seven bowls of judgment. The call has been issued. It is time. And these angels go and do as they have been instructed. And we ought to remember, I said these were shallow bowls. And the nature of these bowls means that they, would be, they could not be poured out gently. They could not be poured out carefully. You literally turned these bowls and dumped the entire contents out on people in one go nothing is missed. No one is missed. Now these plagues, as we will see as we read through, can, can be compared to two other sets of plagues in Scripture. The first occurred in Egypt, recorded in Exodus chapter 7 through 12. These are plagues that God brought upon the wicked in Egypt when the people there, the leaders there, had kept God's people in captivity, when they had subjected them to misery, to forced labor, they, these judgments, these plagues back then were very local. They happened in one country. They affected one people. The second set of plagues that we read of in Scripture are those that come with the seven trumpets in Revelation 8 through 11. And these extended beyond uh, any one nation. And actually, as we read through those chapters, we discover that they covered up to a third uh, of the world. 
Now we come to this third and final set of plagues. And they're not restricted to to one nation, to one people group. They're not restricted to uh, one uh, fraction of humanity, if you like. These now cover the entire earth. This is God's final judgment warning has been given. And the first bowl is poured out and we see painful sores. Verse 2 says, The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people. And two things I want to notice about this first bowl of judgment. Firstly, the awful plague. The awful plague, ugly and painful sores broke out on the people. The word sore literally means an ulcer. It's got the idea of an open, running, ulcerated place on the skin. It probably refers to a oozing boil. It's called loathsome and foul and bad and malignant and wretched and growing and incurable. And it's an ugly, a harmful, noisome sore. The same term, by the way, is used in the Greek translation of Exodus chapter 9 to describe the boils that affected the people there, some kind of oozing sores all over the body. The same word used actually in Luke chapter 16 verse 21 to describe the sores on the body of the beggar by the name of Lazarus. And the whole world is going to have unbelievable pain in their physical bodies as they're hit with these sores. In the book of Job, you remember that God allowed uh, Satan to afflict Job, and it was boils that Satan chose to afflict him. Uh, with. Satan could have smitten him with any type of affliction, but he chose boils. And I can't ima- begin to imagine the, the pain and the suffering that they w- will endure with these sores. And no doubt the greatest medical minds of that day and of that age will do their best to try and find a cure, but they will fail. There will be no cream, no poultice, no drug that will bring relief to people suffering from these boils. Awful plague. But notice too the afflicted people. The second half of verse 2 says that these ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Just as was in ancient Egypt, these boils only afflict, afflict the enemies of God. Those who are trusting in the Lord are spared this judgment, but this is going to come to all who have allowed themselves to take the mark of the beast, all who have allowed themselves to bow down and worship to his image. There will be no escape for those who have rejected God and chosen to follow the Antichrist. And we recognize here that God's punishment. The punishment that God meets out on this earth and people's lives is a punishment that fits the crime. Metaphorically, if you think about it, they suffer marks on their bodies with these sores because they are marked. They've taken the mark of the beast and now their sinfulness will see these marks in judgment. In the midst of their sin, they find the consequences indicate an appropriate judgment from God. All who have denied God will be afflicted and tormented in judgment. God is no respecter of persons. All who come to him in repentance will find forgiveness and salvation, while all who reject his mercy and grace will face his judgment, regardless of age, regardless of color, regardless of creed or gender. Can you imagine the entire human race left upon this earth being covered in oozing sores? This alone is bad enough. But the plagues are just beginning. 
Well, the unbelievers on the earth are severely suffering from the result of the first bowl judgment. The second angel comes and he just dumps his bowl of wrath right on top of humanity as well. The effects of this are cumulative now. This is the second bowl. And here we see the bloody seas. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. And we can't begin to imagine the turmoil that this plague will bring. But again, notice two things that, that come out here. Notice that all seas are polluted. This is similar to the plague in Exodus chapter 7, although that only affected the Nile and its uh, tributaries. It's also similar to the second trumpet blast in Revelation 8, but much more intense and extensive now. Uh, there it was a third of the seas, but here it's all uh, the sea. All of the seas will be smitten with the wrath of God turned to blood. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into the finest of wine, red wine, hopefully. Because Anyway, here, here, it's turning water into blood. We can't begin to imagine the enormity of this catastrophe. Humanity has never experienced this kind of judgment. I mean, you consider that 70% of the earth's surface is covered in oceans. Imagine all of that water being turned into blood. There's going to be no sunbathers on the, on the sand, on the shorelines, because the tide is going to bring in wave after wave of putrid blood. This demonstrates the extreme severity of these bold judgments, the type of blood that the salt waters of the earth are turned into as compared to that of a dead man. And because of that, notice too, that all living things pass away. All living things pass away. As the plague is poured out, every living thing in the sea will die. The sea will become vast cemeteries. Think about the millions of fish and sharks and whales and other sea life that inhabit the depths of the sea. All of the sea creatures, great and small, will die and begin to rot amidst the seas of blood. All around the world, shorelines will be filled with stinking, rotten fish. I don't know, last night in the news, and I'm delighted to see reports of heavy rain in Australia. But actually, the fallout then that comes from that, as one picture showed, uh, the ash from all of those fires that had been burning, uh, that was then washed into the waters, and that then suffocated the fish, and you saw all of these dead fish on the news report. Well, listen, this is going to be even worse than that, magnified again and again, no doubt disease, bacteria, will abound due to the enormous contamination. Such a judgment will further reduce the scarcity of food and add to the plague of drought and famine upon the world. It will also make it next to impossible for transporting anything by way of the sea as traveling by boat will be impossible under such conditions, not to mention there'll be a terrible stench coming from the waters. The shipping and fishing industries will be non-existent from that point on, one by one. One by one, God is tearing down the things that people take for granted. First, our health is destroyed. Then the oceans are destroyed. The coastal regions of every nation in the world will become abandoned wastelands as the oceans are transformed into vast seas of death. And sadly, sadly, this will bring terror to the hearts of people. And it's all hard to imagine, isn't it? But there's more to come. Because the third angel comes and he empties his bowl 
And we find the fresh water supply is now contaminated. The third bowl, the bloody streams now. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Again, two things, the affliction poured out. The affliction poured out. We see the catastrophe that comes, the judgment that's meted out, the plague that is sent. All of the rivers, all of the streams, all of the wells, all of the springs of water are turned to blood. And every available source of fresh water will be polluted. You'll remember that as the third trumpet was sounded in Revelation 8, one third of the earth's fresh water became bitter and many died who drank it. Now imagine all of the earth's drinking water turned to blood. Imagine going to the tap to pour yourself a glass of water and getting a cup of thick blood. Consider the misery of the sores on your body without even a place to have a clean bath. There'll be no water for cooking or cleaning. And I'm told that we can only survive for about three days without water. There's coming a day when the fresh water upon the earth will be unavailable. And we can only imagine the agony, the uh, the, the panic, the death this pollution will create. And thus far, the bold judgments have brought incredibly painful sores that cannot be healed uh, all upon that unbelieving world. And all the waters of the earth, both salt and fresh water, will be turned to blood. And it's at this point that John hears a voice. And this is an angelic proclamation. It's almost as if the angels are bringing a defense for God, that this angel is bringing a defense for God, vindicating him in the face of us thinking that this is so harsh and so severe. Verse 5, then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. As this plague is poured out, these angels are watching on. Countless Christians have suffered. Countless Christians have bled and died at the hands of Antichrist and sinful men. And these evil people rejoiced at the suffering and death of God's servant, hungry for the blood of the righteous. They desired blood. Now listen, God's given them, granted them the request. God is affirmed as being almighty, and his judgments are called true and righteous. You know, we live in a day when wickedness abounds. It grows darker with each passing year, I think. Often we find ourselves discouraged at the abundance of sin. Satan may appear to be the ruler of this earth, but the Lord will one day have the final say. God will return to judge the sins of this world. The righteousness of God will prevail. One day those who have lived to indulge in sin will face a holy God and have to give an account for the lives that they have lived. But we're not done here either. Because in verse 8 we find the fourth bowl and we see the scorching sun. Here's where the global warming folks say, I told you so. A little bit tongue-in-cheek. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Two things to notice, and then we're done for today. We'll finish the final judgments next week. Firstly, the all-encompassing power. 
the all-encompassing power. The Lord will touch the sun with his power. He is the one who created it. He is in control of it. It's apparent at this time the Lord will create the, uh, cause the sun to intensify in its heat. And the universe is an amazing place. I don't know if you ever think about it. But God created everything and placed everything exactly where it needed to be. The sun is the largest star in our solar system, so large that 1.3 million planets the size of Earth could fit within it. The sun is some 93 million miles away from the Earth. It is at exactly the precise distance to allow life to exist on this planet. If the sun were any closer, we would burn up. If the sun were any further away, we would freeze to death. God placed it exactly where it needed to be. That is the all-encompassing power of our Creator, God who made everything perfect, everything just right before we messed it all up. During this part of the tribulation, the sun will bear down upon the earth as never before. Uh, that its heat will be so intense that it will scorch people with great heat. They will be tortured by the intensity of the sun. We've all had sunburn at one time or another, I'm sure. Some of us are a little bit more foolish than others when it comes to that. But you know, when our kids were young, we were on a, a particular holiday. I can't remember where it was. It happened more than once, to be fair. But on this holiday, and you're down by the beach, and they've been in the water, and they come out of the water, and you spend your time drying your kids, and you spend your time caking them in sun cream, forgetting all about yourself in the process of that. And what happens? You burn your shoulders. Except my problem was I burned my shoulders that much that they blistered. And what happens when they, they get all blistered? They're all sore, and you've got to put cream and dressings on them, and it kind of spoils the rest of your holiday. But it clears up. It clears up. This is way beyond that here. I can't imagine being covered with sores, the drinking water being turned to blood and being undrinkable, and then dealing with intense sunburn. And yet as we close today, just see the attitude of the people. Because sadly, I think this is the attitude of far too many in our world today still. Despite all this heartache, despite all this heart, Despite all this pain, they still don't turn to God. Despite knowing who it is that is causing all of this, all they can do is curse God. In their stubbornness, they still refuse to repent and acknowledge God. They are so in love with sin. They are so committed to hell and to Satan and to the Antichrist and the demons that though they see the hand of God, they feel the judgment of God. Still, they won't repent, but they refused, verse 9, but they refused to repent and glorify him. And listen, it doesn't get any better as we go through the, the other three judgments as well, because if you glance down to verse 201, and after all the seven bowls of judgment, we read, and they cursed God. This is a sorrowful picture. People facing the undiluted wrath of God and still standing in open defiance against them. These are so bound in their sin that they refuse to give God glory for who he is. 
They've seen the grace of God. They've heard about it. Remember the preachers that were, uh, we spoke about earlier in the tribulation period. And they, now they've experienced the wrath of God and still nothing. Neither grace nor wrath can move their wicked hearts. They did not repent. Their hearts are hard. Even though they're scorched with fierce heat, they blasphemed the name of God. They cursed him, the one who has power over these plagues. How blind can they be? How idiotic can they be to curse the one who is doing that? They know who God is. They know what he's doing. They know he will forgive them because the gospel is being preached. The gospel has been preached. And they will not do anything. They will not do anything but curse. They did not repent so as to give him glory. How sad. How sad. Friends, this is a tough chapter. One of the toughest I think I've read and preached on in all my 15 years of ministry. I take no pleasure in sharing words like these, yet I have to so that we can be warned. I have to so that we can be prepared. I have to so that we can turn to Jesus in faith now while we can. And I do it so that we go, we get that urgency we get that understanding to go and to share with our unsaved family and our unsaved friends and our unsaved neighbors and our unsaved work colleagues and those people we hang about with socially from time to time as well. Friends, we were at a concert last night and they sung a song I'd never heard before. Some of you of a different vintage than me might remember it, but it talked something about the, the doors of the ark being closed about the doors of the ark being opened just now for, for people to come and to receive God's mercy, but the dark clouds of judgment beginning to gather round and the doors being shut and the recognition that one day that door of mercy will be closed. These people saw and experienced the wrath of God but refused to repent. Please do not be like them. If you've yet to turn to Christ in faith and repentance, and please Please, please do that today. Do it now while you may. Crown Jesus as Lord of your life and get out of here today. And stop just taking your faith, your, your Christianity, your relationship with God as some joyful little thing that you can rejoice in on a Sunday morning and then just meander out into life as normal. Please get out there and share the gospel today, tomorrow, while we me. I am glad that God has opened my eyes, that he's allowed me to see the truth. I'm grateful that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and I am thankful that I'm going to miss these final judgments. I hope you are too. Let's pray. Loving God, we like it when things are easy and nice, when things are joyful and make us smile, when we speak of a God of love. But Lord, when it comes to hearing another part of your nature, of hearing about the God of wrath and justice and holiness and righteousness, the God of justice, we struggle a little, Lord.
We pray that you'd forgive us for that because we know, Lord, that, that you are the just judge. We know, Lord, that you are gracious, that you're slow to anger, that you're rich in love. We know that your mercy, your grace is available to all who would come and to receive it. And yet, Lord, we are equally aware because we live amongst these people, equally aware that people just ignore you and reject you and, and laugh at you and turn from you. And Lord, there's a day of judgment coming. We, we know that. So Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be prepared. Lord, for those here this morning who do not know you, I pray in these moments that they would turn to you in repentance and faith, that they would seek to live their lives for you. For those that have wandered away, for those that are just going through the motions, Lord, I pray that you would draw them back in, that you would remind them of, uh, of the cost of salvation, the cost of Jesus dying in our place, that they put their trust and their faith in him afresh and live for him. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to get a, a, a glimpse of what lies in front for those who do not know you. And Lord, that would encourage us and inspire and ignite within us a desire to get out and to share the good news of the gospel with others while we can. Lord, help us not to keep this to ourselves. Help us not to hide away with this. Help us not to be afraid of this. But Lord, help us to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, would you so enthuse us today. Would you so remind us of the grace that's been given to us that we would want to share that with others too. Lord, we gather around the Lord's table in a moment when we remember the price that was paid for our salvation and we thank you for that. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the lamb who was slain in our place and we rejoice in that. But Lord, I pray this morning that you would allow us to think on these words hard though they are. I pray that you would take away anything that's of man this morning and let remain only that which is of you. By your spirit, would you do that work in our lives of convicting and challenging and changing us through these words today and all for your glory. Lord, we don't want to reject you. We want to glorify you today. So continue with us, we pray. Hear our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen.